welcome to the 350th episode of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we'll be talking about it. Today, we are recording on August 20th, 2023. My name is Brad Galloway. I'm the editor of GameCritics.com, and today I am the captain of a one-man ship. That's right, Carlos is off on assignment, so it's going to be just me today. But no worries, I've got a killer show lined up for you. Um, you know, we have a pretty good reputation for being truth tellers and for being very honest on this show. Um, not like I'm throwing shit anywhere, but just, you know, people will often say, wow, you guys really, really said what you thought and you didn't really hold back. And, and sometimes people see that as kind of a negative or that we're kind of cynical. Uh, but that couldn't be further from the truth. We love games more than anybody and we love good games and we love to support people. But sometimes the games are just not great, and we just really want to be honest about that. Um, you know, you can't grow, you can't change, you can't improve if you don't focus on the things that don't work. And we have no problem calling things out that don't work. But today, on this very episode, I think this may be the strongest, most unified, positively charged, super awesome, fun collection of games we've ever had on one show. It's not a huge show, because it's just me. Uh, just doing my load this week and Carlos will be back next week with a whole boatload of games on his end. But this is one where I'm going to just spoil it up front. Every game I'm bringing to the table today, I love. They're all great. I think they are top-notch stuff. There is not a loser in the bunch. These are all absolutely buy these, check these out, get into them. You're going to love them. Uh, this is a show with no weak links. This is all killer no filler. So we'll get to that in just a second. I'm very proud to bring this episode to you. But before that, let's just do a quick check-in with me. How's it going, Brad? Uh, you know, it's all right. It's been a pretty busy week. I will say up front uh, to people listening, I do want to apologize if you hear any, I don't know, fans or white noise or anything like that running in the background. Uh, I'm recording here in the Game Critics West studio, which is also known as my basement. And right now, not only is it really hot because we are no longer in global warming, we are in global boiling. So that's happening. Uh, disruption all across the globe. Thankfully, nothing too crazy here so far. Just a lot of heat. But um, in addition to me having fans running because I am roasting in my own juices, uh, half of Canada is like burning right now. And so all of the smoke is coming down from Canada into Washington. Uh, most of it is on the east side of the mountains right now, and I am on the west side, but there's still plenty of it coming over. And we have our HEPA filters running, and we've got a Corsi box running. So if you hear a bunch of noise in the background, I'm sorry. I apologize for that. I know audio is really important to everybody that listens to a podcast. It's important to me too, but I need to survive. I need to breathe fresh air, and I need to not die from heat stroke. So I've got a number of machines running in the background that are basically like life support. So I apologize if those are distracting. Um, I don't know that there's a lot we can do about that because we do need to like not die in the middle of a podcast. So hopefully it won't be too distracting or too bad. Hopefully you don't even notice it. Um, but just wanted to say up front, that's what's going down. So apologies if that's going to bug you. Um, okay, well, let's just get to it. Uh, usually we start the show off with housekeeping and that is a-okay. This is a section where I cover random bits and pieces relating to games or the games industry, sometimes directly, sometimes adjacently. Let me see what I've got on my list. Okay, um, there was just an announcement this week that the Xbox, uh, Xbox 360 store 
which is backwards compatible with the Xbox One and also with the Xbox X and Xbox S. Boy, that's a tongue twister. It's hard to say all those names together really quickly like that. The Xbox 360 store is going to be closing down digitally on July 29, 2024. So like, you know, a little bit less than a year away. But just a heads up, because uh, according to the report that I read, that means that more than 220 games in digital format will just no longer be available in that venue. It's possible they may be available on PC or Switch or perhaps on the PlayStation Store. But if we're talking about the Xbox 360 Store, those things are going to just vanish. Um, This raises a lot of questions. I'm not going to get into it now, but like, you know, about archiving games about games curation about the history of games about how as an industry we basically just throw our own history in the garbage every six months and just keep moving forward which is really terrible um i can't imagine doing the same thing to books or music or 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 film can you imagine um going into like i don't know you go to the library and the only thing in the library are the most popular books from the last six months none of the classics none of the sci-fi used to like none of the fantasy Uh, Or if you, you know, you wanted to go find some music, maybe, uh, you know, you can find the hottest stuff that's playing on the air right now or that you're streaming right now. But if you want to get an old favorite from five years ago or an old favorite from 10 years ago, or if you're into oldies or something like that, not available. I mean, what, how crazy is that? That's insane, right? That's totally insane. And we wouldn't really put up with that in any other medium other than games. But in games, it's so common to be like, oh, that's old, delete it, who cares, whatever, moving on. And I just feel like it kind of traps us in this cycle of... People don't remember what's already come before. New developers coming up don't really play the old stuff or they don't have access to the old stuff. And so they're kind of like recreating the wheel every time they make a game. Uh, I mean, can you imagine if we had filmmakers or musicians like just start from scratch, like nothing to base their their work on, no no influences, nothing to color their view. Um, we would be lesser for it as a people, as a society, as a culture. And I feel like that's kind of happening here in games as well. Um, so looking at the list, I'm not going to go through all 220 games that are going to be removed, but you know, I've played a number of these and, you know, to be perfectly frank, putting all cards on the table, these are not all triple a, you know, home run, big blockbusters. There's a lot of indie stuff. There's a lot of stuff that just honestly wasn't that great. There's a lot of games that maybe people haven't tried, but there's a lot of little gems on there too. And I think, especially if you listen to a podcast like this, or if you read my reviews, or even if you listen to Carlos's reviews or anything, like we play a lot of games that other people just generally don't play. And so there's often a lot of gold to be found there. Um, stuff in this particular list, Deadlight, How to Survive, uh, the Batman uh, that came from Telltale, uh, one of the versions of Darkstalkers, Mark of the Ninja, Section 8, Super Time Force, uh, one of my all-time favorites, Wick, uh, W-I-K. I actually still use that icon on my uh, Xbox profile. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of good, really solid experiences there and a lot of things that I think people would appreciate. And even if you don't, it's good just to have them to exist, just to keep that body of work available. I don't think there's anything we can do about it now because it seems like this closure is going to be happening regardless. Um, but it's just something to think about, you know, and also just heads up. Uh, if you have bought these games, the word is you will still be able to play them and or re-download them if you've already bought them. But if you have not bought them yet, you will not be able to buy them anymore. So I guess go down to the Xbox 360 store, look up some stuff online, maybe see if there's anything that you can't live without. Maybe see if there's something that you really want on that format. Buy it now. Now is the time. And then you'll have access to those for at least the foreseeable future. I mean, I don't think that anybody 
who is a digital content provider is going to be promising that these things are going to be available forever. I mean, as we've all kind of discovered, certain things get removed and there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, when you go digital, you're effectively just renting long term, regardless of what people want to tell you. So I guess heads up on that. Um, buy your 360 stuff now uh, and just check out the list and, you know, just just do something about it. And then also think about games history and games preservation. That's something to think about. Okay, what else? Um, heads up that Venba, V-E-N-B-A, is available on um, Game Pass right now. It's available on everything, I think. I'm pretty sure I've seen it on Switch. I think it's on PlayStation. I'm sure it's on PC. Uh, this is a game about... I only, I only skimmed it, uh, but it's about immigrant family coming to Canada, and they go through the immigrant experience. They have a kid. A lot of food and cooking is involved in the gameplay. I'm going to play it tonight, actually. Uh, but the reason I bring it up is because my wife... Uh, just finished Pikmin 4. That took her like 60 hours or something like that. And so she was asking if I knew of anything good that she should play right now. Uh, we often like trade tips back and forth. What did you like? What have you recently played? You know, we kind of curate games for each other. And I was like, oh, you know, here's a couple recommendations. I think I threw out like Clash of Heroes. Uh, I threw out Black Skylands, which I'll talk about in a minute here. But I'm like, oh, you know, Venba. I've been hearing good things about Venba. And it's on Game Pass, so you can give it a shot and you don't really lose anything. So she's like, cool. She jumped into that first since it downloaded the quickest, <laughs> very small download. And she starts playing it in about like half an hour into it. She's like, Oh my God, this game is killing me. And I was like, Oh, what? I thought it was good. She's like, it is good. It is terrible. And it is really good. And she was literally crying, dude. She was actually tears running down her face and she was sniffling and doing that little hitching breathing. I'm like, Oh my God, what's going on? And she's like, it's so good. It's, it's killing me. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay. So I'm like, okay, don't tell me. She's like, I'm not going to tell you anything. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but you need to play this right away. Um, I think it probably hits harder if you're an actual parent. I know a lot of people played it and they said it was good, but I think there's like a little bit extra if you've had a child or if you are the, the caretaker of a child. Not necessarily that you have to have a biological child, but you know, if you are, if you are the parent figure to someone, if you're a foster or if you're just a chosen family or anything like that, if you've got a kid in your life, I think it probably hits a little bit different. So she was bawling and I was like, oh shit. Okay, well, I'll play this tonight then because that's, you know, games that make you feel something are pretty few and far between, um, at least for us. You know, there's lots of games that I like, lots of games that I dig that make me have fun or keep my hands busy in a good way or something that has awesome graphics or whatever. But a game that makes me genuinely, really like on a, on a human level feel something legit, those are pretty rare. And I appreciate those. There have been those games in the past. Not many. Uh, but I think this is maybe the first time I've ever seen my wife crying because of a game. And she's not one that cries easily. So that was really relevant to me. And I suspect it'll probably be relevant to people listening to this podcast. Double so if you've got a kid or if you're a parent figure of some kind. So Venba, check it out. It's on Game Pass right now. It's about a 90-minute experience. Definitely recommended to sit down and play it all the way through in one go and just get just just let it sink in, you know, just absorb all that in and take it in. And, and you know, if you do that, please write in and let me know what you thought. Uh, I'm going to play it as soon as I get done with this podcast and I might report back about it next week. So we'll we'll see. Um, also, I do want to give a quick shout out to the Cosmic Wheel Sisterhood. Uh, let's see. It's coming from Devolver. And I think the developer is Deconstruct Team. I'm pretty sure. They were the people that did the Red Strings Club, which we talked about in last week's episode. 
And both Carlos and I really liked the concepts of the Red Strings Club and the graphics and the vibe. It was kind of like a, I don't know, like nihilistic, dystopian, cyberpunk sort of a thing. 2D, pixel-based, story-heavy. Um, but neither one of us liked the gameplay. They had you doing things that were just, like, not fun. And it took too long to get back to the writing, which was fun, and the little talking situations. I think it would have been better off as, like, a visual novel. Um, so even though we both kind of liked it on a certain level, we didn't like it enough to play it all the way through. Uh, a lot of barriers to the fun there. But I played it in preparation for the Cosmic Wheel Sisterhood, which is, I believe, just came out three or four days ago by the time I'm recording. Um, and I'm playing it right now on Switch. I'm not going to spoil a whole lot, but I will say uh, I think it's great. I think it's great so far. Um, it has the same cool vibe, the same awesome graphics, the same neat themes. Um, it's not cyberpunk or anything, but like a lot of the same kind of emotional themes, mature themes uh, as the Red Strings Club. But they must, of course, corrected because even though there is some stuff in this game that I think is not fun to play, it's very short. And you get through it really quickly. And they really spend a lot of time on the stuff that is really good, which is the talking character development uh, relationships and stuff. It's about a witch who gets banished to an asteroid in deep space. Uh, and you're on this asteroid. You've got to figure out a way out. And also, it's all—it's also kind of not even about that at all. It's kind of about a woman finding her strength, finding independence, finding a way to relate to other people, despite the fact that they might, may not like who she is or what she does. Um, you know, it's kind of a really cool girl power story, which I'm really into and I really like it. I am not that far into it, but so far it's kept my focus, no problem. And I'm just really curious to see where it goes. So I will be talking about the Cosmic Wheel Sisterhood in more depth either next week or possibly in two weeks. It kind of depends on how the slate of games goes for next week. If I get through them pretty quick, I may work it in. If I don't, then you'll definitely hear about it in two weeks. But just heads up, check it out if you want something to play. If you're looking for something definitely pretty far off the beaten path, something different. If you're looking for a, a girl power story or something that talks about emotions or relationships or something, I'm digging it. I think it's really cool so far. Uh, and I will bring it to the show once I've spent some more time with it. Okay, that is all of the housekeeping I have right now. And let's not waste any time let's just get right to the main portion of the show all right so let's see here okay killer 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 lineup folks let's start off with blasphemous 2 this just came out i want to say maybe three or four days ago oh i think the same day as the cosmic wheel sisterhood this comes to us from the game kitchen they are spanish developers and the first blasphemous which came out Oh, I don't know, three, four years ago, maybe something like that was pretty fantastic. Uh, it is a kind of a 2D pixel based Dark Souls like combat, but there's also heavy, heavy Metroidvania influence. Uh, the first one was kind of a revelation in terms of the theming and the art style and just kind of the overall vibe really leans hard into the kind of esoteric storytelling that is commonly found in Souls games, but with a new twist because the Game Kitchen are from Spain and Spain is a very Catholic country and they brought a lot of that Catholic imagery, iconography and themes into their games. So it was very much about like religious penitence and sin and forgiveness and the way that uh, miracles can be twisted into bad things. Like it was just really something different. Like it just felt so different and so 
unlike other Metroidvanias and other Souls games that we had played. And on top of that, it just it felt amazing. I mean, there was a couple rough rough patches in terms of level design, but overall, like the combat was smooth, felt responsive, felt tuned, um, had some of the best parrying I've ever played. Where I, in general, I hate parrying. But in Blasphemous number one, I could parry no problem every single time, which I was so grateful for. Um, so Blasphemous two is out. I will say right off the bat, if you liked Blasphemous number one, and you want more of that, just stop listening now and just go buy it. There, there's nothing really to say. You're gonna love it. Um, it follows the template of the first game basically exactly, and it's just kind of like more of the same and bigger of the same. But that's great. I mean, I think the first game was wonderful. I loved every minute of it, and I, I tried as best I could to like. 100% it. There's a few side quests that you can screw yourself out of pretty quickly. And I think I messed up a couple of those because I wasn't following a walkthrough. Um, but otherwise, I, I ate up every every minute of that game. This new one is basically more of the same. I will say, just as a side note, before you start Blasphemous 2, uh, Blasphemous 1 did get a pretty substantial series of DLC earlier this year and also last year. I think there was ultimately three dlcs and the most recent one um added a whole lot of story it added a couple new characters i believe it added uh at least a few new bosses and it also changed the canonical ending so i i i have to assume they were not planning on doing a sequel when they made when they made the first game and so once they had the success that they did they're like okay let's pivot let's make a new game but in order to do that and preserve the storyline which honestly isn't that important to me. I mean, the story is, is interesting, but, you know, I don't play these games for the story. Maybe other people do. Regardless, um, they went back, changed the last battle, changed the ending, and that new ending from the DLC is what leads into the beginning of Blasphemous 2. So if you haven't played the updated ending and the updated boss battle, which I have not. I played the OG version when it first dropped, uh, but I watched the YouTube video. Um, if you're a little bit confused by what's going on in Blasphemous 2, just know that they went back and tinkered with the story. So just heads up on that. Um, but basically, you start the game resurrected. You're, I believe you're called the Penitent One, I think. And you've got a really, really iconic kind of cone-shaped hat, which is apparently a real thing in the Catholic practices of Spain. Um, you've got like a mask on, you've got a hat on, and I think this is some real gear that people used to wear back in the day. And you go into this uh, Metroidvania world. You uh, have a town with like some NPCs you can talk to, like a couple shops. But basically, you're let loose in this like kind of horrific Catholic-themed horror world um, going, you know, wherever you'd like to go in a 2D Metroidvania fashion. And of course, you'll come across stuff like, oh, I bet I get a double jump here. I'll come back later. Or, oh, I need a different weapon here. I'll come back later. You know, the usual Metroidvania progression. But it's done really well. And I feel like um, overall, just the graphics are still stellar. I feel like the controls are still great. Um, theming is still good. They've worked on the writing, though. I think the writing this time around is more straightforward and more easy to understand and approachable. In the first game, it felt like you were reading like a chapter out of the Bible or something. And if your brain is not geared for that, it's pretty confusing. A lot of archaic language, a lot of phrasing, a lot of subjects that you might not be familiar with. So they, oh, I mean, that stuff is still here, but they've also opened it up quite a bit. I, I remember remarking to myself like, oh, I understand what you're actually saying this time around. And I didn't have to look up anything in the dictionary. So they have definitely tweaked that. Um, but overall, I think it's really great. The biggest changes so far, I think, are number one in the weapons. In the first game, you just had a sword, which was really cool. Uh, but this time around, you have a different sword. You have dual rapiers. And you also have a giant, I want to say it's like, 
a giant morning star, but it's also kind of like a big incense ball. Like, I don't know if you've seen these where, or even like, like a tea, a tea thing that you make tea with where it's like a metal ball. You open it up, you put the tea leaves inside and you close it back up and you dip it in your tea. Um, it looks like one of those things, uh, but it's full of like ashes and embers and fire. And when you whip it around, you can hit a button and it, it sets on fire and it burns enemies. So it's pretty cool looking. Um, so you can switch between these three weapons. You choose one at the beginning and then you pick up the other two pretty early on. Uh, each one has traversal options. The, the dual rapiers lets you travel through mirrors like a warp. The uh, morning star thing, morning star teabagger. It activates bells, which create platforms, and your sword that you start off, or that I started off with anyway. You can start off with any of those. I started with the sword. Uh, that one lets you open up, cut through flesh walls, and it also does one more thing that I don't remember. But each of the weapons has its own traversal thing. There's also abilities that you gain later on that I don't have yet. There's like a double jump, and there's uh, like a warp thing, and there's something else. So there's more stuff to unlock. I mean, it, it follows Metroidvania tropes pretty, pretty, uh, pretty faithfully, but I feel like the thing that really makes Blasphemous 2 stand out is, number one, I think the art style is just phenomenal. Every boss is like a complete horror show. Uh, the animation is so smooth. Like the, the, the enemies that you fight are so interesting and different than what we usually see because they're so interlinked with this iconography of the church. Um, you know, people who are paying for their sins, heads in boxes, you know, people who are, um, you know, sinning in some way or something like that. It just really, really has a flavor all its own, which I, I quite enjoy. Um, lots of secrets as well, tons of secrets, uh, and the level itself feels much bigger than the first uh, Blasphemous. I haven't finished it. I mean, according to the start screen that tells you a percentage when you begin, uh, it's telling me I'm at 26%, but I feel like I've been playing for like a while. So I'm guessing they probably count like every single secret, possibly even like filling in the map and stuff like that. So I feel like I've been been in the world for more than 26%, but who knows? We'll see. But the map feels quite large. Uh, plenty of save points. I think save points are good. I think the warp points, a little scarce right now. I could use a few more warp points. We'll see if that changes as the game progresses. Um, the only things that I don't like about it, and I mean, it's pretty mild dislike. I think this game is pretty killer, and I'm really enjoying it. Um, so I guess, number one, uh, just be prepared for... Uh, the difficulty level. I don't think it's especially difficult, um, but I think it's probably a little bit more demanding than the average Metroidvania. Uh, so I think maybe if you're a Souls vet or if you have played the first Blasphemous or something, you're probably totally fine. No problem. But there are definitely some difficulty spikes. Um, there's a few sections in the game so far that are kind of like, I guess for lack of a better term, ambush rooms where you go inside the room and then the front door and the back door are closed and they lock. And then you have to kill everybody in the room before you can move on. Um, I don't remember if they did that in the first Blasphemous. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But I don't recall that. Um, but here, oh, every time it happens, I'm like, ah, oh, shit, not again. Most of the time, they're okay. But every once in a while, they'll spawn somebody on either side of you. And once you start getting knocked around, like, you just get, like, stunlocked to death. And that happens, like, way too fast. You take a lot of damage in this game. And you cannot... You're not like a tank by any means. So you got to be kind of judicious about your hits. And all it takes is like one little peon enemy knocking you to kind of get you off your game. And then some guy whacks you from behind. And then as you're trying to recover, somebody else whacks you from the other side. And it's just, they feel a little bit cheap. Um, so passing them the first time doesn't happen for me very often. But I'll come back. They're usually next to a save point, which I appreciate. 
Uh, and then once I know who's coming and when they're warping in, then I kind of can get through it after a couple tries. But they do kind of irritate me. They feel kind of cheap in a way that I don't think is really necessary. I will also say, um, I feel like the pairing, oh, this could be my imagination. I didn't go back and play the first Blasphemous to compare, but um, the parrying in this game feels just like slightly off somehow. It's still good. It's I'm still able to parry like consistently. So this is not like Sekiro or something where you need like lightning fast reflexes. Like I feel like they're very generous. Most of the moves that you need to parry are telegraphed way in advance. Um, I feel like the window for parrying is pretty wide open. And you can even have an, uh, at least one or two items that let you extend the parry window, which is great. Um, but something about it just doesn't feel quite as tuned as it did the first time. Um, so nothing major. It's nothing that's certainly going to like stop me from playing the game. But it does play a role sometimes. And there's just a few times that I'm like, what? I parried that. Like, what's going on? So it's not it's not terrible. It's not anything as bad as Souls or anything like that. But just, just heads up. But overall, um, I think Blasphemous 2 is great. It just really... Uh, stays in the the genre the stays in the same bucket that the first one was but i mean it was such a fantastic game i am very glad to get more of it and i'm really glad to just uh just really dig in um, i don't play a lot of metroidvanias because i'm kind of over that genre but this one i'm really liking i really enjoy quite a bit and i just love just everything about it, it just feels great it feels really polished and tuned this is really good stuff i mean I, I definitely think you should play this if you're a metroidvania fan if you like the first blasphemous or you just want some really 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 solid 2d action this game is the shit. Um, not going to give it an official score right now because I am not far enough in, but I probably will circle back once I finish it and I'll have like final thoughts on it. So um, you can look forward to that in the future. All right. Um, thanks to the magic of podcasting. That just was a moment for you. Uh, but it was actually three hours of a pause for me. I, uh, I, I paused for a minute. Uh, to grab some water and then uh, I saw my wife was actually playing the game that I'm just about to talk about Black Skylands and so I sat down with her because I enjoy this game so much I wanted to watch her play for a minute I look up the clock and I'm like oh guess I should probably get back to that podcast so there was no discrepancy for you although I just outed myself right now but for me it's actually three hours later so uh, let's get back to it Black Skylands coming from developer Hungry Couch uh, this was in early access for apparently a pretty good amount of time, but that was time really well spent because I think this game is dynamite. It is a uh, indie production, so probably a small dev team. It is a 2D pixel-based game where you play Eva, who is a... I mean, I don't want to call her like a sky pirate, but that's kind of the easiest way to explain it, right? Um, you are the captain of a very small ship, like a single-person airship, and it's the game is shown from the extreme top down angle. So like when you see the screen, it is like literally the camera is like 90 degrees perpendicular to the ground. So all you're seeing are the exact tops of your character's head. It is not isometric. It is literally straight up and down. And basically, uh, you go around this uh, open world. It's a it's a large world, but it's not so large that it feels insurmountable and it's small enough that you feel like you can get from one end of the uh, other to it within a reasonable amount of time um anyway semi-free roam there's areas where you obviously need to not go because the enemies are too tough so they kind of naturally gate things off that way which i think is fine uh but basically you're in the ship and there's a story and i think the story is fine it's about uh your father and 
sky pirates who are evil dudes taking over the islands. And there's also another subplot, which I'm not going to spoil here. Uh, I mean, the story is fine. The story is just like it gets you from point A to point B, which is okay. But the real reason to play this is I think it just it feels like a knockout to play. I think um, the sense of place and of being in this game is really excellent. Um, I really want to compare it to another game that I actually can't talk about now. Uh, but I think it would be really an interesting comparison if I could name what that game is. I cannot, and I, I will not, still under embargo. But uh, ask me about it in like two weeks or maybe three weeks, and I'll give you the rundown of what I really want to compare it to. But I won't. Anyway, you start off the game. Uh, intro is a little rough. Uh, the the tutorial could be a little bit better. But once you get going, it's like you're in charge of your ship and you're flying around in the sky. And it's just like so awesome because you are just in charge of wherever you want to go. And the map and all of the systems in the game are really set up to support you in doing what you want to do and having this adventure. It's limited in scope. So, you know, you're going to be basically flying from island to island. You'll see little side quests pop up. You'll see resources to gather and the resources are finite, which in this case I think is great because... You'll see them on the map and you'll know that, for example, oh, here's a small island. There's like one log and two rocks. And you'll see them on the, the map very clearly as icons. You go there, you pick them up, and then they're gone. Then you know, okay, this island is cleared out. Same thing for like the enemies. Like you fly around, you'll see an enemy or an island that's red. So you know it's an enemy island. You can go there. Uh, you can either just land on the island yourself and just start taking guys out with your guns and your melee. Or you can just like fly by and do like shoot them from the air. I love this because like the game knows that you want to do this and it lets you. So you can get up to the, the quote unquote shore of this island in the sky. And you just like open fire with your cannons. You start just like killing guys on the shore. Enemies. And you don't even have to get out of your boat. Like you're totally protected and safe, which is really fun. You lay waste to the uh, the initial opposition. You jump out. And then you start like hacking dudes up when you get there. And uh, the game will show you like how many people are on the island. So there's a finite number of enemies. Uh, once you clear it out, then it turns blue. And so on your map, you'll slowly see the world map turn from um, from red to blue, which means you have liberated all these places. And along the way, you've made the territory safer. Um, I think it's just really, really deeply, like viscerally satisfying um, to be able to have this much agency in a game where you go where you want to, you fly where you want to. You can use your ship in any way that you want to. You also have a grappling hook, which is great. So you can grapple from island to island or from little um, vantage point to vantage point. You can't just go anywhere. And again, this is on a 2D plane. But like the developers are pretty clear about this. They really want you to experiment with it. And there's lots of little paths that if you're clever, you can use your grappling hook to get to uh, that might not be super obvious. So like you really feel like you're in this area doing what you want to do, navigating your own course and just taking the actions and experimenting with things. It's not so open that you're getting like weird physics goofiness or anything, but you can really like try new things. You can try to sneak up on people. You can snipe them from afar. You eventually get these little traps that you can set, and the traps are really fun to use, so you can do that if you want to. Or you can just bypass the whole thing and just do something else if you want to, which I think is really great. I just love the feeling of being able to sink into an experience like this, even though it's 2D, even though it's pixel-based, even though it's completely overhead at a 90-degree angle. I get super immersed in this game because I, it makes sense to my brain. Like It, it has this feeling of place. I understand my ship and I can take my ship where I want it to go and I know what it's doing. It does what I want it to do with very little limits. Um, I know what my own personal limits are between my grappling hook and my melee and my guns and I know what I can do. And I think it's just really, really well put together. The feeling of going through this airborne world and liberating islands, saving people, doing these little side quests, getting little bits of story is just so great. Uh, the map is excellent because it shows you all the icons, all the places you want to go. If you pick a quest, it tells you exactly where you want to go. It highlights where the bad guys are, how many of the bad guys are. Like, it gives you, like, this kind of, like, omniscient level of information, which I think is amazing because it really helps motivate you towards knowing, oh, 
uh, there's only one little patch of red left on this island. I should go and finish this off. And you go finish it off and the whole thing turns blue. And you feel great. You feel great for doing it. You feel like you've really accomplished something. So I just think that overall this game, Black Skylands, is just really tactilely satisfying. I think structurally it's very satisfying. Um, the systems are pretty easy to use once you get through the tutorial, which could have been a little bit better. But I feel like once you know the systems, like it's very user friendly. It's very easy. Like it doesn't feel punitive in any way. Um, you know, there's always a way to get money. There's always a way to get a health pack. You can even if you die all the way and come back, no big deal. Like you're just set back a couple seconds. It's not a problem. And I feel like it just really wants you to explore this world and just to dip in and just just do whatever. Just be the be the captain of this airship. And and even when you get to the airship combat, I think that's really well done, too. You start off with like kind of a junky little boat and it's got a couple cannons and a machine gun at the front and you just kind of fly around. Pick your opponents. Some boats are really, really teeny tiny, and there's also these massive juggernauts as well, and you got to depend on uh, whether you feel like you can pull it off or not. But you choose who you want to fight, and you just kind of go up to them, and it's real-time combat. Fly around in circles. You've got your broadside cannons. You've got your nose cannon, and you just kind of just trade volleys, and it just feels like you're doing this cool little pirate battle in the sky, but it's all small-scale, really, like... Um, contained and finite but in a good way it feels like you can really master this game and you're never really feeling like too super overwhelmed you never you never don't know what to do you never don't know where to go um i just love that it's like it's not a checklist per se but it's like they just give you all the information they don't want you to spend your time lost they don't want you to spend your time frustrated about knowing uh, you know, like you're not sure what to do they just give it to you and i think it's so pleasant and so welcoming to just have a developer who's like, look, we're not here to trick you. We're not here to like needlessly burn your time. We're not here to give you season pass or anything. We just want you to have a good time with this adventure. And there's multiple difficulty levels as well. So depending on if you want to just breeze through it and have fun being a sky captain, or if you really want to challenge with the combat, it does get pretty challenging if you try the harder difficulties. Um, I just love that they they feel like the developers feel like they want you here and they feel like they want you to have a good time with this game. And they feel like they're taking all the roadblocks out Anything that might cause you to have a problem with this game, they have taken out. And I really appreciate that. It really shows. Like, it feels... There's this this ephemeral quality where it feels like the developers really gave a shit about this game. They really care about it. And it feels like they really want you to care about it as well. And I feel like they are very successful. Everything they've done tactilely in terms of design, menu, UI... I mean, all the time they spent in early access was really, really well spent because I feel like this feels like a very polished, well put together game that is just a pleasure to play in all respects. Um, the only thing that I would say is slight rough spots. Um, I think some of the UI is a little bit wonky when you get to like specifically like equipping your guns. I feel like it could just be like evened out a little bit. It's not terrible and it's you get used to it. No problem. But um, it just feels a little tiny bit clunky. I think also the translation, I don't know where Hungry Couch is from. Um, I'm guessing it's not America because there are some weirdnesses in the translation. It's not bad and you get the gist, no problem. Like you totally understand it and it's fine. It just feels a little stilted at times. It doesn't flow like a native English speaker might want it to flow. And they also spend a little time on names of countries that I have a hard time keeping straight. But honestly, that doesn't really matter. I kind of just breeze through that and just figure out the gist and, and do what I need to do. Um, the only other thing to be aware of is the combat can be really frenetic. Uh, I was actually kind of taken aback by this when I started playing because um, you get to your first encounter and again, from the total top-down perspective, you kill one or two guys is no problem, but like when you get into a swarm of like three or four guys or sometimes there's other like environmental hazards like cannons going off or mortars dropping from the sky or something like that, um, the screen can get kind of cluttered kind of quickly and everybody moves 
like twice as fast as you think they're going to. So you can very easily go from a controlled situation where you're kind of like trying to backstab one guy to you're in a melee with like nine guys and there's bullets everywhere and explosions and you're running around desperately seeking cover so you can pop a health pack or something. Um, that does get mitigated as you go on. Your weapons get stronger, you get more life, but also I think you get these um, special abilities that are reusable. They're infinite, but they have like a cooldown. And using those special abilities, like for example, you have a shield, you can call lightning down from the sky, um, you have a little auto turret that you can drop. Those things like help really turn the tide of combat in your favor when they're used effectively. So I think that balances it out. But I kind of would like to see the enemy movement slowed down just like a little bit, maybe like maybe like 20% slower um, just off the top of my head, just to make it feel a little bit less chaotic and a little bit less just crazy um, because it goes from calm cool collected to oh my god what's going on oh my god i took way too much damage i gotta run and it just it just gets really hectic really fast um but like i said you can mitigate it and it does get not really to be a problem later on it's just kind of a kick in the face at first but overall black skylands is it's fucking awesome i love it i just love the feeling of being in that world flying the airship going from island island saving villagers killing sky pirates having the air-to-air -air ship combat um, everything about it is just fucking great and I just really love it a lot there's been a lot of games like this in the past and I feel like they've all been kind of skirting this feeling but I feel like Black Skylands really nails what I wanted from a theoretical like air pirate game and I just think it's so great I just love everything they've done about it and I'm having a blast with it um, I'm maybe halfway done with it so I'm not comfortable giving it a full review score right now but I will uh, and I'm going to say right now, so this is not a full score, but I'd say based on what I've played so far, easily, easily like an 8.5 maybe, but that's not final. Uh, I'm going to play a little bit more. I'll report back probably next week. Um, maybe I'll have it done by then. Maybe not. We'll see. But a winner, a clear, clear winner. Um, take a look at this trailer. If you like anything about it, if it looks even remotely interesting to you, I guarantee this one is the real deal. It's really, really, really good stuff. Love Black Skylands. All right, um, quick pause before we get to the end of the game. It's funny because I wasn't planning on taking that three-hour break in the middle of the podcast, but while I was on that break, I was watching my son play. He's way more of a PC uh, gamer than I am, which is funny because, you know, you're a parent, you have kids. Hopefully, you're thinking that you have some shared interest. Maybe not everything. Of course, not everything, but you hope you have something in common. And I was hoping he would have video games in common, and he did. At first, I wasn't sure if he even liked video games, uh, but after he got a little bit older, he really started to click into them, and now I think he's out of control. Uh, but he likes, it's funny, like, I'm a gamer, my wife is a gamer, he's a gamer, and yet all three of us, very rarely do we like the same kind of game. Um, you know, I like the Souls games, I like adventure, I like a lot of thought-provoking games. My wife is like a hardcore platformer fan, she likes just pure action. And my son likes the physics screw-around games like Goat Simulator or Kerbal Space Program or something like that. And so even though we're all hardcore gamers, um, we very rarely do our circles overlap in the Venn diagram of our family. Um, so anyway, I was upstairs watching him dink around on PC and he gets a lot of recommendations from his friends, uh, who are also PC gamers. And he, uh, recommended a game that I thought you guys might like to hear about. So this is, um, not one that I planned on talking about at the top of the show, but I do think it's actually pretty cool. Still, I think this is definitely a winner. It's called Only Up. Just came out in May of this year and I believe it was by SCKR Games. I'm not familiar with them. I've never heard of them before. Um. As far as I know, this is PC only right now, and it's 
I'm not even sure how to describe it. Basically, you are a kid. It's third person behind the back um, perspective. You're a kid who is, I guess, um, I guess according to the game description, he's trying to get out of a bad family situation. So I think this probably all takes place in his head, I would assume. But basically, you start on the ground and kind of like what looks like, a, I don't know, like a like a slum type area. And then what you do is you go up and 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 all these like wildly fantastical, impossible situations. Like you'll go up a stack of like uh, decrepit cars and then there'll be like a bus stack on top and you climb on top. All you do is just run and jump and grab and climb. So it's all about parkour. It's about um, platforming and you have to just go up and up and up and up and up. And it seems so simple, but like the thing that really sells this game is I think the visual graphics. Um, check out a trailer on YouTube real quick or check it out on Steam where this kid is just like running through the city and there's all these weird pipes and just like barrels and wood and you're kind of like going through and jumping on these things. And then later on, you'll get higher and higher. And honestly, like it made the pit of my stomach drop a little bit where you get so high up and you just look down and you're like, oh my God. Um, but like you'll get to like a train station suspended in the air and you're kind of like navigating the tracks and the cars. And then later on, you'll get to like a Japanese themed area where there's like cherry blossoms and temples and statues. And then later on, there's like a Greek area. There's like a fantasy area with like beanstalk and dragons. But you're just like going up and up. You're constantly going higher and higher and higher. In fact, in a way, it almost kind of reminds me of something like um, Grow Up, if you remember that game, where you're just you're kind of just focused on doing this one thing. But you're just climbing and climbing and climbing. But along the way, there's like all these like amazing sights. Like you're looking over the edge of the world or you're looking into space or you're looking into like these impossible structures that could not exist because gravity would pull them all down in a moment. But being this little kid climbing up, I was watching over my son's shoulder and it was just like, honestly, it's like some of these vistas were pretty jaw dropping. I was pretty amazing. Um, he had to tinker with the graphic settings a little bit, but once he got it running, I was like, wow, this looks really cool. And seeing how high up he got, I think the goal is eventually to make it to space. I think there's a space station that you want to get to. But if you can just imagine starting on the ground in a in a slum or an impoverished part of town, climbing from the ground all the way up to space by jumping, leaping, climbing, mantling on piles of crap along the way, washing machines, telephone poles, um, cars, old tires, and then just like vehicles and tracks and metal and machines and just like randomly climbing this weird stuff all the way to the top. It's pretty fantastical and pretty amazing. I'm watching my son play and I'm just I'm really taken um, with the graphics and just like the whole ambiance of it is pretty amazing. This definitely looks like a jam for sure. Um, I don't play a lot of games on PC unless they're porn games. You guys know that. But I may make an exception for this one because it looks looks like pretty much my shit. And this may be one that me and my kid can both bond on. So we'll see. Um, there's also little homages to other games. I think um, Getting Over It, I think, is the other one. Uh, is There's an homage to that in there. I think there's definitely a, a Grow Up homage. I saw some Beanstalk that looked like the, the Grow Up Beanstalk. Um, there's definitely other little homages in there. But it looks really cool. So check this out. I think it's like $8 on Steam right now, which seems to be like an amazing price for what is a very uh, interesting-ass-looking game. So there you go. That is Only Up. And now I will get to what was the original final game of the episode, which is, again, a killer, killer, fucking just awesome game. It is uh, what I'm about to talk to next. Shadow Gambit, The Cursed Crew. All right. So Shadow Gambit, The Cursed Crew. I've been waiting for this one for quite a while. Uh, it comes from Me, Me, Me Games, which I believe is 
a German company, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's German. Uh, they put out also Shadow Tactics, which I loved, and Desperados 3, which I loved. So it makes a lot of sense that I was waiting for this one uh, eagerly. All three of these games, Shadow Gambit, Shadow Tactics, and Desperados 3, are basically in the same category. They are isometric, um, I guess real-time tactics, I guess is probably the best label. Basically, uh, I'll just talk about Shadow Gambit for now, but, but understand that the other games are basically effectively the same. You start off with a group, uh, with a pirate, a pirate. Um, her name is Afia, and she is undead. This is, has very, like, Pirate of the Caribbean vibes to it, where you've got, like, pirates, but supernatural, and you're in, like, you know, these tropical seas, and you're going after treasure and stuff like that. Just just think, like, Pirates of the Caribbean, but overhead, isometric, and with some tactics thrown into it. So basically, you take a Fia, you get this ship called the Red Marley, and the Red Marley has a special ability. The ship is alive, just like you are uh, an undead live person. A spirit is in that ship as well. And its power is the power of saving. Now, I got to back up a little bit and explain this. So, me, 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 they kind of make the same game over and over and over. And that uh, that is not a, a negative at all. That's a positive because I feel like they're basically one of the only developers out there who make these kind of games, these kind of like overhead isometric real-time tactics, um, semi-real-time tactics, but they are the masters of it. Like, I feel like they are a developer at the height of their powers. They've got a very clear vision. They know exactly what they want to execute on. And I feel like they're doing an incredible job. So stuff that they started in Shadow Tactics, where that was a ninja-based game, but basically the same formula. Team of ninjas doing turn-based tactical stuff. They went to Desperados 3, which was Western. Cowboys doing turn-based tactical stuff. Loved both those games. They're amazing. And now we're doing Pirates. So... While some people might be thinking that seems like you're just doing the same game over and over, and in a certain sense they are, they're iterating every single time and they're getting better and better and they are improving. And Shadow Gambit is clearly the best game they've ever done and they were already making amazing games. So in this particular style of game, once you get your extra characters and once you get out of the tutorials and stuff, you're going to have usually a team of three or maybe five sometimes of people. And each person has a special ability. So for example, Afia has a sword. Uh, that lets her warp. So she can like do like these really quick strikes. Uh, and then you get like uh, the ninja chef Toya. He can teleport, which really is helpful. Um, you get like the ship's doctor who can create cover. She has these magical seeds and she can throw a seed and a little bush sprouts out. And then you can take cover in that bush. So if you're in a place where there's no cover, you just create your own cover. There's a guy uh, that has a giant chest on his back, like a treasure chest, and he has a fishing pole. And whenever he kills somebody, he can use that fishing pole to get rid of the body. Like he'll hook the body with the fishing pole and stick it inside his treasure chest so that it stops anybody from finding the dead body. There's no evidence left behind, right? And so you mix and match. I think ultimately there's like nine characters. No, that's not right. Seven, seven, nine. Well, there's a bunch. There's a bunch. There's a whole crew. Each one has their own thing that they like to do. And you assemble your team and then you go into a level and you've got to just figure out what your objectives are. Um... But the thing about these games is that saving and retrying is always like a key element of the game. And, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I never save scum or whatever. And like, number one, I don't like the word save scum. It's just like stupid because like what? Like you're tough if you don't save, like you have to do everything perfectly the first time. If you mess up something, you're going to like, what, delete your save and go back to the very beginning of the game. That's dumb. 
Uh, I just think that like people who like call it that, <laughs> it just has a very negative connotation, which I do not appreciate. So I just prefer to say saving because, uh, you know, I'm not an uh, infinite vampire who lives in someone's basement. I don't have all eternity to play games. Like I've only got a limited time here on earth. And so I want to use that time effectively and saving helps you play games effectively. So I think that's uh, a net positive. Um, but basically in these games, you have to save a lot. They really, really strongly encourage you to save, try, if it fails, retry, like resave, like load your save. Like that's, it's just part of the game. There's no way, okay, not no way. I'm sure someone's done it, but like it would be very, 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 very difficult to get through one of these levels without dying at least once, without making a mistake because stealth is kind of a huge part of this. Like when you go into this game, let's say Shadow Gambit, you got your pirates, you pull up on the beach, you got to like, let's say you want to get a treasure chest that's like hidden in a castle or something. There's going to be like 50 guards between you and the castle. And they're on patrol routes. They're looking one way. They're looking the other. Some of them are talking to each other. Some of them are sleeping. Like, you got to figure out the best way to get to that castle to get that gold. And along the way, you're going to make mistakes because there's always people who are covering each other. Like, you may see a guard and you're like, okay, cool. I'm going to use uh, my teleporting pirate and I'm going to sneak up behind him and I'm going to backstab him. And then we're going to keep moving. And you do that. And then you're like, oh, shit. I didn't realize there was a guy on the balcony above. He saw me. The alarm is on, and now guards are swarming at us from nowhere. You can power through that. You can kill all the guards and keep going, but you're probably going to take a lot of damage. It's really difficult. You know, you might lose a couple people. It's just like a hassle, and it's just better to not get caught in the first place. So that is where they're like, you need to save and restart. That has been true in Shadow Tactics. That was true in Desperados, and it is definitely true here. So they know you're going to you're not going to spot everybody. You're not going to pick the right route the first time. You're not going to you're not going to have the right approach the first time. Sometimes the timing is off. Sometimes the timing of what you want to do is very tight. For example, um, you know, maybe two guards are walking past each other on a patrol route and you need to wait for the exact moment when they're both in the same spot so that you can kill them both at the same time before either one can raise the alarm. You know, it might be a window of like one second or something like that, or sometimes even less than that. And so you want to save right before that, because if you mess up your timing and one of those guys gets away, he sounds the alarm, then your whole thing is screwed. And it's just like a pain in the ass. And they know this, they know it's difficult. They know getting the timing is difficult. They know that nailing all these things is hard. And so they, they beat you over the head, but they're like, please save. Please save and try again. If you fuck this up, reload the save. Try again. Like, they're telling you they want you to play it that way. And that's really the only, like, sane and sensible way to do that. So in the previous games, you just saved. Like, you know, quick save, hit a, hit the start button or whatever. It was just... It was part of the menu system. Like, it was just the thing you did as the player. But in Shadow Gambit, they've really taken a look at this system and they've taken a step back and they've really done something incredibly clever with it. They have incorporated that method of quick saving... Um, die, reload, repeat, uh, which you do a lot in this game, they have made it part of the actual story. So your Marley, the ship, the spirit inside the ship, her ability is saving. And so she'll tell you, hey, we're successful pirates and we've been so successful because I can use my power to reload time if you guys die or fuck up. So that's how come we are the most successful crew in the world because every time we die, I just reload a save, you know, quote unquote, reload a save. She calls it like... Um, Unleashing a memory is what she calls it. So she's like, if you die, I just unleash one of my memories and you get to try again. And that way, every heist we do is successful. We never lose a crew member. We never get caught, etc., etc., etc. So the developers have taken the meta element of saving this game and incorporated it into the game itself. And it becomes part of the story. Part of your crew is this whole thing, which I think is fucking 
brilliant. It is so brilliant to see that they've used this system all these times, two previous games, and then incorporate it this way. It's just so smart. Um, I think the story of this game is really cool. I'm not going to spoil anything, but basically her ability to save definitely comes into play later on in the game. So you have to contend with some of that. You also have to um, free your other crew members who have been captured in various places. You got to assemble the crew. Everybody's got their own little side story, which is really cool. Um, and the neatest thing is like when you are between missions, you go back to the Marley, your ship, and you can just hang out with your crew. You can talk to them. It's like your home base. You're kind of just cruising in the Caribbean, I assume. And you're just like talking to your people. Hey, what's up? What's your what's your story this time? Uh, hey, let's chat a little bit and see a little bit more about you and find out little things. Um, I think it's just really cool. I love the crew. The crew is, I think, easily the best crew they've ever assembled. I mean, I love all the crews. I love the Desperados crew. I love the Shadow Tactics crew. But I feel like they went above and beyond this time because each person is very clearly distinct. They have their own full backstory. They have their own little side quest. And spending time with each one is just great because they have little comments they say during each mission. You can build up rapport with people. And it's just really, really fun. Um, I think they're just the most well-fleshed out, the most appealing. Uh, I had a lot of love for um, Quentin, the, the guy with the treasure chest on his back. He's got a great voice actor. In fact, all the voice actors in this game are great. I think they're all outstanding. Um, but just like the banter and the back and forth, the feeling of getting to know your crew and feeling like they're friends. Um, there were definitely certain people who I like spending time with more than others. And sometimes I would take somebody along, even if I didn't like their power so much, just because I liked them and I thought it was cool. Uh, so I really appreciate the effort and time that goes into that. And the other thing that also changed about uh, Shadow Gambit and as compared to their previous games was they give you so much choice. Not only do you get to choose which characters you want to take with you on a mission, which wasn't always the case in the past. Um, in the past, you would have your set level and they would say something like, oh, for this mission, you must use characters one, two and four um for reasons there'd be like a story reason like somebody was sick or somebody got shot or something and so they had to take a, a break and so it would kind of force you to use other characters to kind of use their powers in different ways which i think is fine and i in fact i like it i mean there's nothing wrong with that at all i enjoy it uh, it's kind of like a developer is imposing a specific challenge uh but in this particular game almost never do they force you to take somebody with you you usually have uh, the ability to choose from whoever you've got unlocked at the moment and you unlock them all you know, I mean, you can get there. It's it's like half the game is unlocking your crew. Once you get there and you've got your full crew, you just take whoever you like. And whatever, you know, if you like more direct combat, you're probably going to want to take these couple people. If you prefer to be sneakier, you're probably going to want to take these couple of people. You know, if you like uh, possessing somebody and being inside the guard's body, then you're going to want to take this guy. Or if you want to take somebody and put him in a cannon and launch him out of your cannon, you're going to want to take this girl. Um, so they give you like these different abilities to choose, which I think is great. You can tailor your experience to whatever you want. I'm actually very curious to see, now that the game is out, which characters will be people's favorite. I think the two starting characters, the ship's doctor and the ship's chef, are both really strong characters. Um, I feel like oftentimes I could almost even solo a mission just with either one of those two people. Excuse me, those people. Um, because they're very competent. They've got a good uh, range of skills and they're just really quick. Um, but everybody's interesting. Um, almost everybody, I thought, had a really cool use case. The only person that I didn't really get along with was the cannoneer. Um, and I just didn't find a lot of use for her particular ability of sticking somebody in a cannon and shooting him. But then again, I didn't spend all that much time with her because I was busy like using my favorites, right? I mean, maybe if I had spent more time, I would find different strategies for her. Um, so I'm not, I'm not saying that she's a bad character, just like in the time that I spent. And I did finish the game, by the way. Um, I just, she wasn't one of my favorites, but I am kind of curious to go back and play with her a little bit more to see if I can find different ways to use her. 
Um, the other major change and a huge improvement is that you have the ability to choose your approach for each level in this game. So let's say you're going to a particular island, you got to get to the castle, get the treasure. You can go to the north beach where it's maybe shorter, but like denser packed with enemies. Or you can go to the south beach where there's fewer enemies, but it's like a longer trek. So you might have more trouble along the way. Or maybe there's like an east beach where it's got like some other kind of obstacle where... You know, you might have to find a key before you can pass that one particular gate or something like that. So it's up to you. Like, depending on the crew you're using, are you going to want to have more combat? Are you going to be sneakier? Do you want more, um, you know, interfacing with enemies? Do you want less? Like, what do you want? What are you after? Um, and you can choose which way you want to go, which I really, really appreciate it as well. I love the ability to just choose and then go and leave it up to me. So we're kind of seeing some echoes from Black Skylands where a lot of the choices in my hands, I feel like that's true here as well, where a lot of the choice in how I played, who was on my team, where I went to, that was really up to me as well. And it was up to me to develop the strategies that worked for me and that were the most fun for me to play. But there's lots of options. There's tons of options. So overall, um, I feel like, oh, I haven't even said the most important thing. Well, not the most important thing, but one of the other things is one of the other key things that Mimi Me does is they have this ability where you get to certain situations where there's just no way through for one person. Uh, so if, let's say, for example, you get to a room, there's like five guards and guard A is watching guard B, guard B is watching guard C, guard C is watching guard D. And it's just really well covered. There's just like no way through without the alarm going off. Um, this is a hallmark of me, me, me game. So you get your, your team, three, four, five guys, whatever. And then you can program each one to do a specific thing. It's very easy to use. The interface is really smart, really well done, very simple. So like you, you pause time and you go, okay, hey, pirate A, I want you to take out guard A. And you kind of program. You tell them what to do while the game is paused. Pirate B, take out guard B. Pirate C, take out guard C. And then once we kill these guys, then we're going to go and kill pirate D or guard D. And then the whole thing is frozen in time. You just take your time. You think about it. You, you direct them where you want to go. Tell them what move you want them to use melee or you know your gun your sword whatever like whatever it is you're like you figure it out and then of course save capture a memory right before you do that and then you launch it off and then everybody attacks at the same time that's how you get through a lot of the challenges in this game is by having coordinated attacks uh between two or three or four people which i think is great i i love that it really gives you some stiff challenges to kind of think your way through there's always multiple ways to get through each challenge and if you don't like a particular challenge, there's always another path to go. Like you're never locked into really like doing any one thing. If something is really frustrating, you can go a different way. You can go the long way, the short way, the hard way, the easy way, uh, the combat way, the, the stealth way. Like there's always a way to go. So it's kind of up to you which chart you want to go, which which chart you want to course for yourself. What course you want to chart for yourself? You know what I'm saying? Oh, too much pirate lingo for me right now. Which course you want to chart for yourself? Um, and then you just kind of just go for it. So I really love that. I love that approach. Um, I love the the ability to program the different moves at once and kind of do off those things. It's really satisfying too. Like, you know, you'll you'll program the moves and you'll see kick off the button and then one guy comes up with a sword, stabs a guy, one guy gets shot, the other guy gets thrown off the edge or something, and then everybody's safe. No one got no one uh, raised the alarm, none of your people got hurt, and this difficult situation got surmounted uh with, with your cleverness. You always feel like a strategy genius when you're done with it. So I really appreciate that a lot. Um I think Overall, the gameplay of, of uh, Shadow Gambit is amazing, um, really satisfying, really rich, and I feel like there's not a lot of games out there that do this. Probably there's a couple on PC that I don't know about, but if you're talking about console, very, very, very few games try to approach this level of complexity, this level of strategy. Um, I can't think of anything that really feels like this at all, other than the other Me 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 games. They've kind of cornered the market on this. 
at least on console. And if anybody knows games like this on PC, please let me know because uh, I would like to hear about them. All right, so I have been singing its praises uh, for a few minutes now. Is there anything to complain about? Well, sure, I can complain about anything just about. Um, but all of these things, let me before I before I get into these nitpicks, let me just say that like none of the things I'm about to say really significantly detract from the game. I think this game is wonderful. Definitely going to be on my top ten list of this year for sure. I've enjoyed every minute of it, and I would like to um, complete the game all the way. I did finish it. I rolled credits. Uh, but there is some stuff after the game uh, that I have to... I had to put on pause to get to some other games, but I will come back to it. Uh, basically, I'll just say that sometimes I think the graphics can be a little small. And they even call it out in the game. There's kind of like a little joke about it. But, you know, you're on the you're on this overhead isometric viewpoint already, so things are a little bit tiny. Um, I've got a pretty large screen, so it's not that big a deal. But um, the graphics can get small. Sometimes um, there might be some small detail that might trip you up because you didn't notice it. For example, one thing that killed me a lot was... I would try to be like making a getaway, right? And there would be like a little, uh, like a, a plank on the ground or something that my character got hung up on. And it was pretty small. I didn't notice it right away. So like, instead of getting away quickly, I got hung up on this plank and then I got killed because the guards caught me or something like that. Um, some of the corners are a little bit sticky sometimes. It's not a huge problem, but when it does happen, it does kind of stick out. But the graphics can be a little bit small. Um, I think also there's a lot of fiddling with the camera. You have to have a lot of dexterity to play this game because you're managing moving the camera, rotating the screen. You've got like multiple characters to click through. Each character has a power, like an ability wheel and an equipment wheel. Um, so you're kind of like, you're kind of doing like finger gymnastics the whole time. And when things are going smoothly, it's no problem. Like you kind of get in the zone and you're just like, click, 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 click. It's all fine. But every once in a while, something would go sideways. And it's usually like a little panic situation, right? Like maybe a guard that I wasn't expecting popped up. And I'm like, oh, shit, I got to do something real quick. And then it would just like momentary amnesia would hit me where all of a sudden my fingers would stop working. I would turn the camera the wrong way or like I would click over to the wrong character and I would select the wrong attack. And the whole thing would just go like completely tits up. So there is there are moments when it just, you know, like you just lose your focus and all of a sudden your hands stop working, you get alien hand syndrome, and all of a sudden it just feels like way too complicated. But you got to just step back for a minute, take a breath, come back to it, and then get back on the zone, and then it's good again. But there are there are lots of fiddly moments, a lot of camera fiddling to get a better viewpoint. Um, and I also, I, I do think along the same lines, um, certain things I think could be designed for better visibility. Uh, the levels look really great. When you get a close-up look at them, they look amazing. Like these pirate shanty towns and these abandoned shipwrecks and the castles. They all look great, but sometimes there's something on top, like a like a decoration. Like, for example, a rooftop, or maybe there's like a flag, or maybe there's like a tree or something like that, where it looks cool, but it kind of hampers visibility a little bit. It's not a huge problem, but sometimes I would like not see something because there was like a little patch of roof that was blocking it. Or sometimes I would think I could hide under something, but then I couldn't because it looked like it was um, a hiding spot, but it wasn't. I think they could streamline the visibility a little bit. Like it's not a huge problem in any way, but there was just a few moments when that happened. And again, like when it happens, like it's really frustrating. Um, but that part could be streamlined a little bit. I think um, some levels are a little bit too tight as well. Uh, there was, I think, two specific rooms I can think of uh, where they were just like so packed with guards. They were so everybody covering everybody and there's double cover and there's a guy on the roof and there's a guy over there and there's a guy on patrol. And I'm like, oh my God, like, you know, I could have gone a different route. Like I just said, I could have chosen to do something completely different, but 
you know, like I'm already halfway through the level and it's just this one room. And if I can get through here, then it's fine. And I don't want to restart the level. I don't want to change course because I'm, I'm, you know, sunk cost fallacy. I'm too far in right now. I got to keep going. And there was a couple rooms where I'm like, okay, you guys kind of chilled out just like a little bit, like one or two fewer guards in here would have been fine. Still would have been challenging. Um, I didn't need to work that hard for this, but it, it was few and far between when I really felt like like it was too much. Most of the time it was either I wasn't using powers effectively or maybe I had a team that wasn't optimal. Um, if you choose a team that is lacking in powers, they will you, you will get a, a warning. It'll say something like, hey, with this particular team, you don't have anybody who can make a guard move. That might make this game or this level a lot harder for you. Heads up. And you can either choose to proceed or you can say, oh, no, wait a minute. Hold up. Let me choose somebody with different powers. So they do they do want you to be well-versed and able to handle any situation. But again, you have to figure out how to use those powers, the timing of those powers in, in conjunction with which teammate, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot to it. Um, and rarely did I feel like the developers went a little bit too far, but there was like two, two maybe three rooms in the whole campaign where I'm like, okay, you guys went a little bit too far with this one. Um, but still got through them. Although I will say the final level and the final battle, the final level is very awesome. I'm not going to say what it is, but the exact final battle, uh, was driving me completely apeshit crazy. I, I thought it was glitched at first. I wasn't sure it was even able to be finished. And I was almost going to ask the developers for help. Cause I was like, wait a minute, I don't think this is even able to be completed, but then I figured it out. And then I felt like, okay, that was dumb and way too hard and that should be fixed but i got through it so there's a handful of places where i feel like even even me who is a, a a vet of their series who is experienced in these games felt like it was pushing me a little bit too far uh, but that's pretty minor pretty minor um the only other thing that i will say sucks so this actually sucks this actually does full-on suck um is once you roll credits on the game there's one extra character that you can unlock and i was really excited i was hoping he was going to be able to be unlocked uh, fingers crossed, and then you finish the game, you roll credits, and I was like, oh, hey, you can lock this this guy. And I'm like, oh, nice. I really want like, this brand new character. It seems like uh, I'm very curious to explore his powers and see what he can do. But you have to have at least 85% completion to unlock that guy. I rolled credits and finished the game after, I don't know, like 40 hours. I was at like 54%. And I'm like, oh, dude, like what? I, I don't even know what is what's happening here so there's a couple missions i can go back and finish but i don't think that's going to get me to 85 percent. i suspect what they want you to do is to go back and do like little individual badges for each island and i'm just i i just don't give a shit it's like oh um walk across every bridge bridge on this island or kill every single person on this island or get to your objective without ever being seen or you know like like whatever it's like little challenges like that kill three people with environmental hazards or something and i just i just don't care like i don't need that much gameplay out of it i feel like going through the levels once or twice is totally fine and being able to pick my own team and pick my approach is, is good enough for me um, so I feel a little bit depressed and sad that I probably am never going to get to 85% and I'm probably never going to unlock that character because I feel like that is asking too much from me as the player. I feel like only the most dedicated, only the most extreme players are going to get there. And that makes me a little sad because I love this game so much. Um, and I feel like it's just one that I really, really enjoyed. That felt like a little bit of a kick in the nuts at the end. And I wasn't too happy about that. Uh, me, 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 if you're listening, please adjust that. I just, just give us the character or make it uh, more reasonable because going after those badges should be, in my opinion, a completely optional thing. 
Uh, and it is optional because you can finish the game without doing it. But like dangling that character in front of me and having it feel so far away, that feels bad. I don't like that at all. I wish I just had him and I would play through the levels some more and do some other stuff. Um, so that sucks. So please fix that. Please unlock that guy. Don't make it 85%. You're asking too much. That's that's unreasonable. But again, that's an optional thing. You don't have to do it. It's just like an end game thing. Whatever. Take it or leave it. But overall, I feel like Shadow Game of the Curse Crew is basically a masterpiece. It's basically a masterpiece. Um, it's so good. The story is great. Characters are great. I love the choice. I love the new approach. I love the incorporation of the meta elements of the saving into the storyline. I love the Marley, the Red, the red Marley, your ship. Um I just I love basically everything about this. It's so fun to have these undead pirates running around with all their powers. And in another game, they might be really OP and really out of control. But here it's just really fun. Like, I feel like they want you to have fun and just use these powers in really fun and engaging out of, out of hand ways. Just really interesting stuff. Uh, I love it. I love the crew. I love this thing. I loved I loved all of it. Once I started playing, I couldn't put this game down. And I poured 40 hours into it just like in the blink of an eye. So uh, for me, this one is a huge win. I, as I said, I finished it, rolled credits, everything, did almost everything that I wanted to do. Not that that was enough, but for me, um, I definitely feel comfortable giving this an official so video game score, and that score is 9 out of 10. A solid 9 out of 10. This one is amazing, very well done, and if you're even remotely interested in this kind of content, it's just, it's a no-brainer. It's a must-buy. It's super, super good. For games like this, this is how you do it, and this should set the set the bar basically for everybody who comes after. So, good job, me, me, me. And if you do make that guy available at less than eighty five percent, I will just love you even more. Nine out of ten, Shadow Gambit, the Curse Crew. That is some good ass shit. All right, folks, that is the end of the main portion of the show. And as promised, that was three incredibly solid winners and one bonus winner in there that I think looks really cool. I think this is the most positive, the strongest, uh, strongest lineup of games we've ever had on the show. But as always, we've got a few bits and bobs before we wrap it up here. Uh, let's see. What do I have left on the agenda? Oh, first, let me check the mailbox here. We do have an email written in from superfan Elio Compatelli. Hello, Elio. Thank you so much for writing in. It is always a pleasure to hear from you, my friend. And of course, anybody else out there, if you want to drop us a line, an email, anything, I guarantee you we will read it. Um, we do not get a ton of email, so we always go through all the emails. Hit us up on Twitter. Hit us up an email. I, I For real, like you will get us. We'll read it. We'll know what you had to say. We'll probably even give you a shout out on the air or something. So please write in. Um... But Elio writes in, uh, proving once again why he's one of my favorite human beings. The email in the subject line says, Brad is right about Hitman Absolution. And in the body of the email, it says, that's it. That's the email. Elio, thank you. I appreciate you supporting me in my opinion about Hitman Absolution. Uh, I know that Carlos and I disagree on that one. I am, of course, correct. Uh, but and, and again, evidenced by you giving me your full support, which I appreciate. So... Yes, thank you very much, Elio. Appreciate that. What else do we have here? Oh, wanted to give a shout out to, um, excuse me if I don't pronounce the name correctly, Ray Bosley, I think is pronounced, uh, who is a, a writer from Australia. He's written on some TV shows that uh, we have watched on our family. Uh, he dropped a line uh, to us via Twitter and was like, said he listened to the show and gave us uh, some appreciation. So thank you very much, Ray. I appreciate you listening. Fan of your work. Please drop us a line. If you uh, write something new, I will watch it. I promise you. So thank you very much for uh, for listening. I, I really, really, really do appreciate it. 
And uh, just a couple last things before we go. Uh, what what, what non games things do I have? Oh, okay. So quick shout out for a couple things here. First, um, I probably have mentioned it before, but I'm a huge fan musically of a band called Chairlift. They are no longer together, uh, but I loved all of their songs. I'm not sure why they broke up. I didn't look into it or anything, but the singer, her name is Carolyn Polacek, uh, is an amazing fucking singer. I love her voice so much. I just love her style. Uh, I mean, every song she does is like my favorite song. And she did one recently. I don't know when the song is from. I think it's from one album before her current album. Uh, but it's called uh, You're So Hot, You're Hurting My Feelings, which is, number one, a funny title. I appreciate somebody who's able to, like, you know, laugh at themselves a little bit. But the song is so fucking catchy. It has been in my head all day long. It's got this cool little groove to it. It's got some good percussion going on. She's got her lilting voice all the way through. It's just like this beautiful, really fun song. And the video is pretty fun, too. It's like a real basic bare bones video. But she's like in hell, like line dancing. And it's <laughs> it is so it is so her if you know her and um, know her style. So anyway, I love Carolyn Polacek uh, so much. And you should check out her song. So hot. You're hurting my feelings. Uh, also, check out chairlift, too. I love chairlift as well. Uh, we just watched movie The Little Mermaid, the remake, the live action. Although, is it live action? There's so much CG in it. I don't know if you... I guess it's live action. Live action plus CG. Uh, we watched it yesterday. It just came to video on demand. And so we downloaded that because we do not go to theaters anymore. And I thought it was quite good. It was quite good. Uh, I think Halle Bailey, who takes on the role of Ariel, did a great job. She's got an amazing voice. And I felt like she did really well. Melissa McCarthy plays... Um, oh, gosh. Ursula, the sea witch. Uh, who is one of my favorite Disney villains. She kills it. She's so fucking good. She like, man, she does a great job. She can act. And she also plays on her persona as like kind of a funny woman. Um, she does a great job as Ursula. I loved it. Also, Aquafina was in there and she played Scuttle the Bird and she did a great job. Uh, David Diggs was playing uh, Sebastian the Crab. Now, I feel mixed on David. I love David in general. Uh, he was like in Hamilton and he's done some other stuff. He's a great, super mega talented dude. Uh, I love him. He's a family favorite. But I, f I got to be honest, I feel like he was a little bit miscast as as Sebastian. His voice, um, I mean, I feel bad for even saying this, but like this movie stuck pretty closely to the established lines of the original Little Mermaid animated film. Uh, they didn't really branch off from it too much. And so... Sebastian in the original animated film, I don't know the, the voice actor's name. I think he was a singer of some kind, but his voice was like so rich and deep and it was so iconic that with David coming in, I, my wife made a good point. She was like, you know, I wish they had done something different with Sebastian, like made him a, a slightly different character so that David could have like made it his own and like, you know, put his own flavor to it. But he stayed pretty close to the Sebastian role. His voice was a little bit too uh, light and it didn't have enough like like gusto to it. And when they got to Under the Sea, which is, I think, probably, if not the most famous song from the movie, the second most famous song from the movie. But it's, it's the one that everybody knows, right? Um, his voice was too weak for that song and it didn't really change up enough. Uh, it was kind of disappointing. I feel like he didn't quite pull it off. The other one is so iconic. You either got to lean into that or you got to make it your own. And with David's ability to like, you know, rap really quickly and do, you know, spoken word stuff, um, they should have done something different. And if you look, if, if you look at that film, there's a part later on in the movie when uh, Sebastian the Crab and um, Scuttle the Bird 
they're doing a, an impromptu number and they like rap back and forth. And that, that was his, that was his shit, right? That was when he was in his element. That was when the whole thing kind of came to life. And I'm like, oh, oh, snap. He's got it. He's got it. He's going for it. That was when the energy really kicked in. And that was when he made it his own. I really wish they had done more of that because that would have played his strengths a little bit more. So it was kind of disappointing to hear that Under the Sea, which is, you know, such a huge number, didn't quite work for me. Um, the visuals, though, were amazing. I know that some people were bugging out about the CG, but I mean, what are you going to do? It's got to be CG. You can't like you can't just strap like rubber fins on people and call it a day. I mean, you've got to do the CG these days. But I thought it was great. All of the animals in the movie, um, except for like one or two, were real undersea animals, which I thought was cool. Uh, the mermaids were redesigned to be kind of like multicultural and they had these really cool like way more um, fin designs and iridescent scales. They kind of look like uh, beta fish a little bit, if you know what a beta fish looks like, with the, like the huge tail. They're the kind you see in those little cups in pet shops all the time or something like, like Petco or whatever. Um, the mermaids looked amazing. I thought that was great. Uh, and the visuals were just like when they were undersea, like all the fish and like the colors and the tropicalness of the whole thing. It was pretty great. I also really appreciated the multicultural approach. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of little girls of color who see this movie and are empowered to to dream a dream, right? Like, you don't have to be a white person to be the star of the show. You don't have to be a white person to be a good person. Um, I think those are important, valuable messages. And I'm really glad that this movie exists. Um, my only one really big complaint about the movie, other than David being slightly miscast, is the person who plays Prince Eric oh man, he was kind of a dud. He was just like random white guy. There was nothing really outstanding about his performance or really notable about him. And he does have one brand new number. Oh, and it is bad. Homeboy cannot sing. It was awful. I was looking at my wife like, are you hearing this? Am I, is my ears broken? Cause this guy can't sing what's going on. And she's like, yeah, this is really bad. So that it's a brief number. It's only like two, three minutes, but Prince Eric's number is awful. And his singing voice is awful. And he is kind of generic. I'm sure he's a very nice guy. I'm not I'm not hating on him personally, but he was probably the weakest link out of the whole movie. And that was kind of disappointing. Not like, you know, not like I really give a shit about Prince Eric or anything, but it just kind of stuck out because everybody else I felt like was really holding their own. Um, and it was a notable rough patch. So anyway, I thought The Little Mermaid was great. Halle Bailey killed it. Uh, Melissa McCarthy fucking absolutely killed it. Aquafina was great. Um, I mean, I think it was just overall really good. Final thing to say, um, I hate to end on a down note, but people who listen to this podcast know that I collect action figures. I talk about He-Man or Transformers once in a while. Um, I, I talk about it a lot on Instagram. So if you follow me there, I'm sure you've seen my pictures of just different action figures that I have or different, you know, whatever, my collection and stuff. Um, but I started getting into Gargoyles lately. Um, if you're familiar with the Gargoyles show, which is currently on Disney+, Plus, uh, it ran from like 94 1996 something like that disney afternoon i think whatever um pretty critically well-received show about uh main character goliath and his group of gargoyles living in new york city and they were going on various adventures with police officer eliza maza um and uh, keith david was the voice of goliath uh iconic voice uh so great stuff uh we're watching the show right now uh, we are just about to start season three and I was like, oh, you know, uh, I, I should see if there's any action figures of these guys. That would be kind of a cool thing to have. And there are. They are made by the NECA company, N-E-C-A. And to be frank, that makes me sad because NECA is, in my opinion, not a great company. They have had long running 
um, QA problems, production problems, uh, lots of different problems with their toys. Uh, for example, I'm a huge fan of Pacific Rim. Everybody knows if you listen to the show, you know I love Pacific Rim. One of my favorite movies of the last couple of years, 10 years or whatever, whenever it came out, it doesn't matter. I love Pacific Rim. I love Jaegers and Kaiju and stuff. It's just really fun. And NECA had the license for the action figures. And those action figures were a fucking mess. They were really sloppy, poor articulation, poor quality, uh, poor, uh, poor production. Just everything about them was really not great. And it made me so sad because I love those, that movie. And I really wanted to have like a cool little setup with giant robots fighting giant Kaiju. And it's just the, the, the figures are just crap. They really are crap. So anyway, they're making these Gargoyles figures, and they, again, quality control problems. Um, I opened Demona, who is one of the main villains of the show, um, and again, it just like it just blows me away. Like I, the plastic is so soft, you can't move the elbows. Um, problems with the posing, the tail is too long, like all sorts of little things. But like her wings are the big problem. Gargoyles have wings. You haven't seen the show? They have giant wings, and in the show, yeah, they 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 stretch open and fly, but often they're folded up, like they're folded up on their back. They can fold up like a cape or sometimes they're just kind of halfway closed to kind of be small. And these NECA figures, when you buy them, the wings are at full extension and they're fucking huge. They're like a foot in like a wingspan. Right. And like it's like not only is that heavy and it's hard to pose because they're just these giant fucking stiff ass wings. You can't barely fit any on a shelf because they just you can't do nothing with them. They're, it's too big. It takes up too much real estate. And so that really sucks. But also. The wing joints don't move. They're like super stiff and you can't move them without breaking them. And the pegs that are on the back of the wings don't fit into the character. Like the whole thing's like a shit show. And it just really sucks because these are like premium figures that are not like super cheap. And so it was kind of an investment. And to get them and have this low quality just really made me mad. So I'm very disappointed about this. It would have been cool to have really high quality figures and they're not high quality and I feel kind of burned. So NECA, please up your game. This is kind of embarrassing. These are obvious problems that would have been spotted in a second by anybody who collects action figures. So I don't know what you're doing, but this is this is not it. And at the very least, I feel like as a company, they kind of owe the people who have bought these figures uh, more options for the wings because you can't fucking... They, they're so awkward and big and clunky. Like, you can't do anything with them. There's got to be a folded option or or have the cape option with them or something like that, like they do on the show. Like, like come on, you guys, get real. This is this is crap. So anyway, there's my action figure rant for the day. And I believe that's a show, folks. Thank you so much for listening. We love having you here. We love being here with you. We want your questions. We want your comments. Hit us up. So video games podcast at gmail.com. Hit me up individually. Uh, I'm on basically every platform. Uh, Still on Twitter. More on Blue Sky. I'm definitely on Instagram. You can also email us. But if you want to find me specifically, it's my name, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y, all A's, no O's. And that is going to do it for episode 350. Thank you again for joining us here on the Soviet Games Podcast. Carlos should be back next week, and we'll see you next time.